Welcome back. And welcome to our backstory conversation with Dave Callum. Dave, what a great story. And what a great thing you've done in founding the leftist marching band. <clears throat> Those of us who know Pat Spaulding have become acquainted with the band by way of Pat's major reading. She was, of course, not the first, but she certainly has been part of the band in that way. So if major reading is a word, she's been part of it. And it's nice this evening to see and hear from the founder from you directly. And so I want to plunge right in. Beginning on background, I know from research that San Francisco has the Lesbian Gay Freedom Band. And I don't know about other cities and towns and their bands, but really the leftist marching band isn't like that. I guess from what you said that it's more of a universal kind of mission. And I wonder if you could just delve a little more deeply into your sense of mission and vision and how that came to be. Well, yeah, there were some, that charter that I mentioned was the really key, key point of what we did. And <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, I need to drink some water. Hold on. <clears throat> Understood. <laughs> I'll join you. There we go. All right. Um, so there were some really important basic tenets. One of them was that we were, we agreed to never play for money because money tends to ruin everything. And I actually think that was a really critical piece in the uh, longevity of the band because, you know, I had been in rock bands and, and, you know, tried to make some money and it always just causes lots and lots of grief. And if you never take money, you don't owe it to anybody. Everybody gets their money's worth of you playing there. Right. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, to the point too, like we never incorporated, we never did, we never had to file any taxes. We were never quite a thing. And that also just gave us that freedom. Another important tenet was that we had to be very mobile. We, we thought it was really important early on not to play with charts, not to play with music. Um, so we could be out in the streets and we can move around. And um, so, so those kind of things became really important. You know, you mentioned some other bands um, actually at the same time, an amazing um, movement happened of street bands down in Somerville, Massachusetts. They have a festival there called the Honk Festival, and they have bands from really around the country that come in. Um, John Mayer actually on the call has been very involved with uh, working with those bands. They even have a school of honk where they train people to be in street bands. And it's all activist political bands for the most part in the street. And there was a lot of them that cropped up during that time. So there was something in the air. There was something. And I, you know, preparing for this talk, I thought a lot about what were those conditions that fostered this. And I think it was that feeling that as a citizen, um, we were being duped. We were just kind of being silenced and duped. And John Bailey said, felt like you were being dope slapped by the government <laughs> when it came to like not really being heard. And I think that that energy was captured in a lot of different places. Some of those, some of those bands. Um, so the second line, John Mayer, I'm sorry to keep putting you on the spot, but John no, Mayer, I just no. want to let everybody know there's lots of really key people in the band, but uh, John Mayer has been a really solid force throughout almost the whole 20 years. Um, he's our music librarian. And um, like I said, he, he's been a really, 
we we call him a glue stick. Him and Elizabeth <laughs> Wood or uh, Wolf are right. uh, two glue sticks in the group. But John, what are some other bands that go down to honk? I'm blanking yeah, um, on a lot of the names. So when the leftist marching band started, you know, we were felt a little bit like we were, you know, outliers, but quickly made some connections. And you mentioned Second Line Social Aid and Pleasure Society Brass Band. They were the Somerville um, group. And we actually used to go down to Somerville and play with them. And they would come up to Portsmouth and be part of some of our actions. And it was Second Line that organized the first Honk Festival. Um, and we were there at that. And it was just like magic. There were probably 20 bands that came from all across the country. And it just felt like there was this very welcoming community that leftist marching band fit right in with. And we've been friends and played with many of those groups, Bread and Puppet, Circus Band, um, the mm -hmm. bands from Canada. Um, yeah, it's just really a wonderful community of players. Uh, you know. Wow. <clears throat> we, <laughs> there's a, another group, uh, they're called Dirty Water Brass Band. And when players from Second Line, Dirty Water, and Leftist Marching Band are together, we call ourselves the Dirty Leftist Pleasure Society. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah. What, uh, one of hey. the things I, I want to mention real quick, sorry, but I, I think it's important. I've, I've been calling a lot of people out in this in this call, and I, I think we're all, I mean, we're on the streets, we're out there. But one of the things early on is that it, we wanted to have an option to be able to to um, protect our anonymity um, because there are times where the leftist marching band actually impacts your life. I actually went to a job interview once and the first question was, is it true you're in the leftist marching band? <laughs> and so there are times where you wanna do that. So we all agreed that if the media were talking to us, we would use the same name and that same name is Sharky McGee. And Sharky McGee <laughs> would always provide all the quotes. And it got to the point where it was like, wow, this Sharky is everywhere, you know? <laughs> was, so I, I really should be saying, yeah, everybody here is Sharky McGee, so. Well, that kind of leads me to the another question of mine. It's a little complicated, um, but your title suggests the leftist marching band is unexpected. And I believe that implicit in that unexpectedness is what might be called a theory of social change. And it occurs to me, and what you just said reminds me of that, that part of your theory of social change might be using humor as a kind of wedge tool for precipitating social change. It seems like a sense of humor is a kind of a critical ingredient. What do you think? Share a little I, bit about that. I think that's accurate. And it, you know, you're either going to laugh or you're going to cry, right? <laughs> and, um, so I, I think the choice of keeping it light keeping it humorous. It actually makes it a lot e easier to play if you're not seriously trying to pull off, you know, a, a perfect waltz and march and just being, being who we are and being, it is what it is. And um, having that poking, poking fun. We also re-lyric a lot of word or a lot of songs. So um, adding political lyrics to things like the Flintstones uh, theme song and, and several others as well. So I think satire has always been super effective with uh, especially the establishment. One of the um, 
Yeah. So, so, so I think, I think that's, we've tapped into that and it just feels a lot easier to uh, engage that way when, when we're, when we're doing it a bit tongue in cheek. Well, I guess part of my point is it seems to me that it makes it more difficult for uh, opponents of leftism, if you might call it that, when you're, as you say, poking the bear with the, with the humor, um, it kind of upsets their apple cart. It seems like it's a very effective strategy and you combine that with music, it's really amazing. No, 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 I agree. And it's a lot better than just getting mad and, and you know, getting in a fight. So it's good. Well, you've been at it for 20 years, as Amy mentioned, and many, many people consider 20 years to be a generation. So I wonder if you and John, too, if you want to get in on this, could share with us uh, what you see as LMB's next 20 years. What lies, what do you think lies ahead in the future? What can we look forward to? I, I think a line of wines. We're going to have our own wine <laughs> selection, the LMB. I think we're going to cash in now. It's, you know, it's been 20 years setting up the stage, and now we're going to cash in. No. Uh, <laughs> well, a line of wines with an H. Right? Wine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you wow. go. Leftist wines. Yes. <laughs> I like that. No. Um, I want a I copyright credit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got it. You got it. Um, I I do think I you know the the best thing about the band and we've talked about this a lot, especially recently. We've been getting back to going out for beers after practice. Um, is that the best thing? Is that this structure is very malleable and and adjusts to not only the climate and the times because you know obviously the I, I don't even want to mention the name, but the last. Uh, president had lots of, you know, qualities about it that made it kind of odd and difficult to approach it than the same way as you did with like a Bush administration. And, um, but it just keeps morphing and just keeps changing and, and just still the people that are in it and the people that come make it their own and it, it adapts. So I, I'm not sure I can necessarily what's going to be what's going to happen. Uh, let's talk a little bit about storytelling, if you will. You did sure. a really nice job with your story. And I wonder a little bit about what led you to plunge into that. Do you have a background in theater or storytelling? What What's led you into storytelling? Because you did a nice job. Oh, well, thank you. I was really nervous. The, uh, I had oh, to actually... <laughs> I had to Google what a story was, like what a narrative story <laughs> was. And I, you know, I realized there had to be some arc, there had to be some, you know, tension. Right. Um, so no, I'm I'm just new to this. I mean, I've always been a ham. I, like I said, it's mostly been music, um, but no, never, not really theater or anything like that. So, uh, but I do enjoy it. And it, it takes takes a lot, it takes me a lot of time to do it. But I, you know, I appreciate it that it that it yeah. pulled off as a story. That's good. And you have a nice kind of presence. Mm, thank you. Uh, we're draw getting near to the end. My last question is always the same question. Mm. In a sentence or two or a paragraph or so, how would you advise a new or aspiring storyteller to get started? <laughs> well, as a as a new storyteller, right? You're uh, the exact right person to ask. See, yeah, exactly. Um, honestly, seeking out supportive people like you all have been. Um, you know, prepping for this. There was that session where we were 
hearing each other. And I really valued that. I, I thought the other storytellers were really supportive and great. Um, so I, I think not being afraid of reaching out and, and, you know, encountering people there for about 10 years, I got pretty introverted and I don't know, it's pandemic didn't help it, but, um, <laughs> lately I've been stretching a lot more. So this, this lined up perfectly with my, uh, sort of personal journey, I guess. So that, that would be my big advice is not get hung up on, um, not meeting people and sharing and just, just get it out there. Good. Great. Well, thank you. Friends, this brings us to the end of our backstory conversation with Dave Kellum. Dave, thank you so much for your story and our conversation. And thank you to John. And this brings us near to the end of our program. A couple of brief reminders. Uh, as Amy has mentioned, our next event is our workshop next Tuesday, April 4th, 7 to 830. Uh, if you are new to storytelling, as Dave mentions, try our workshop. It's a great place to start. And you can sign up on our website. You can learn more about True Tales Live at our website, truetaleslivenh.org. Our next show is Tuesday the 25th, and the theme is One Thing Leads to Another. And you need to plan to log on so you can find out what those one things are. And very exciting, True Tales Live will be live on stage at Portsmouth Senior Center Friday, June 30th at 6.30 p.m. Plan, as they say, to come on down. Updates and more information will be in our newsletter and posted online on our Facebook page. And tonight's show will be posted on PPM TV's YouTube channel, thanks to our editor and hardworking producer, John Lovering. In his semi-autobiographical book, The Things They Carried, author Tim O'Brien writes, whenever he told the story, Rat had a tendency to stop now and then interrupting the flow. It was a bad habit, Mitchell Sanders said, because it breaks the spell. It destroys the magic. What you have to do, Sanders said, is trust your own story. Get the hell out of the way and let it tell itself. Which, of course, is exactly what we try to do here. That's our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. My name is David Frainer, and just before we say our final good night, we have a brief musical special, so stay tuned. <laughs>